Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of November 13th through November 15th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Apologies for the slightly delayed episode. I know that podcast episodes should be on a more regular schedule, but I put it off for a day mostly to wait and see if we would get news on a new release date for Wonder Woman 1984 this past Monday evening when I record or on Tuesday morning since you know it's a relatively light news week and there were rumors we were going to get that. Unfortunately, we didn't get that news, but the show goes on. So let's kick it off with the top domestic top five films. Uh, in first place, we have Universal's Blumhouse collaboration Freaky, uh, apparent, um, appropriately enough, coming out on Friday the 13th, uh, debuting at number one in 3.6 for 3.6 million US dollars in 2,472 theaters, four per theater average of $1,456. Um, another 1. 1.8 million came from overseas. I, I think Australia was particularly strong. Um, that is a total of 5.6 million total worldwide. Uh, given that, you you know, this uh, movie had a $5 million production budget, a Blumhouse specialty, uh, and given that the advertising budget for this likely was a lot lower than it would be otherwise, I think this is well on its way to making back its budget. Um, again, as another Universal film, it will be coming to VOD in a couple of weeks uh, because of their deal with AMC, which we'll talk about later uh, this episode. On the other hand, this was a bit of a disappointment as, you know, many analysts were expecting it uh, to, you know, make $4 million, um, similar to the last week's number one film, Let Him Go. Um, so, you know, it didn't, it didn't do that. So a little bit of disappointment in that regard. But, you know, it is still in line with films for this post-COVID era of making between $3.5 to $4 million on the opening weekends. Uh, speaking of Let Him Go, that came in second place with $1.7 million, a 56% drop in 2,458 theaters per theater average of $710. To date, it's made about $6.9 million in the box office uh, when you include weekday numbers as well, all of that pretty much domestically. In third place, which for some reason isn't showing up on my usual source of numbers, uh, The War with Grandpa made, according to Deadline, $1.3 million in 2,415 theaters per theater average of 538 That's a pretty decent 12% drop after last week saw a 18% increase. Uh, total domestic take-home has been uh, $15.2 million, um, and another $5.5 million internationally gives it a lifetime worldwide total of about $20.8 million. In fourth place, Come Play dropped 40%, pretty steep, uh, to about $1 million in 1966 theaters for a per theater average of $546. It made about 7.3 domestically to date, with another 400k internationally, so about 7.7 million worldwide lifetime. Uh, in fifth place, uh, The Honest Thief drops below $1 million to $779,000, a 32% drop which was in 1,843 theaters, per theater average of $423. To date, it's made $12.4 million domestically and $8.1 internationally for, similar to the Grand War Grandpa, about $20.5 million uh, in, with about one week less. Uh, you'll note that with that top five, Tenet has officially been pushed out. Uh, it only took, what, 11 weeks? Um, and there's no guarantee it'll stay out of the top five for good. Uh, Tenet dropped only 19% this weekend to 735000 
$1,000. Um, in fact, that 19% drop is mostly due to losing about 378 theaters. Uh, its per theater average actually increased to $601 from about $565 last week. So it's not like people are losing interest in seeing the movie. Um, if it, you know, it, it's just because there are less places where the movie is showing. Um, if it drops 20% again next week, which you know, depending on how many theaters pull it again, um, that brings it down to $588,000. Um, and if The Honest Thief drops 30% like it this week, that'll go down to $545. Uh, so it would be back, you know, assuming no new films come out in the top five. Of course, there are new films coming this week. Uh, screen, media films, thriller, drama, uh, girl, and Paramount's R-rated comedy Buddy Games are coming out. So that could keep Tenet out of the top five still, but, you know, if other films drop off steeply as well, um, who even, who knows? We'll just have to wait to see next week. Uh, in any case, internationally, Tenet, or domestically, Tenet has grossed $56.3 million um, to date, and internationally, $353 million. Um, and it's only about $3 million away from internationally grossing $300 million without any you know, domestic number. So another milestone for it that beats. Also worth noting, uh, in seventh place uh, is the eighth Disney re-release with Guardians of the Galaxy making only $406,000 in 1,560 theaters per theater average of 260, still haven't quite captured lighting in the bottle in the same way that Hocus Pocus has. Overall, total box office for this week was about $10 million flat, a bit down versus $11.4 million versus last week. Um, this time last year, Ford versus Ferrari was opening to $31.4 million, uh, with the flop that was Charlie's Angels making $8.3 million in third place. Uh, total box office totaled $108 million domestically. Um, as I noticed, this w- coming week, there doesn't look to be anything super interesting from my perspective. Um, but perhaps next week, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, the big, I can't believe I call, I'm calling this movie big, uh, the big animated film Crudes 2 from Universal is coming out on the 25th. And that's likely the last big film of the year, um, assuming Wonder Woman and uh, moves and uh, ignoring some smaller art house films um, that are you know, likely to be Oscar contenders. Anyway, that's the domestic box office. Checking in overseas, of course, Japan and Demon Slayer. Uh, the most recent reports out of Crunchyroll suggest that the momentum of the train, <laughs> see what I did there, uh, is somewhat slowing down. It went from 20.48 billion yen last week to 23.3 billion yen, a seven-day total of 2.9 billion yen or 27.7 million US dollars. Um, a bit of a drop down. It's a little bit harder to track this as uh, my usual sources uh, doesn't keep track of weekend numbers. F- uh, you know, past the first couple of weekends now that's still a lot for an anime film you know to to uh, 2.9 billion in a single week uh for reference violet evergarden movie that came out earlier this year made only 1.8 billion in its total lifetime run uh not just one week so you know uh, anyway, Demon Slayer still holds steady as the fifth highest grossing film domestically in Japan uh, behind Your Name, uh, the, an- the anime film by Makoto Shinkai. Uh, it's only about 1.68 billion yen away from overtaking it at the number four spot um, and about 2.13 billion yen away from overtaking Frozen in number three. So it puts up numbers similar to what it did this week. It should uh, be able to hop into the number three spot behind Spirit of the Way at 30.8 billion yen and Titanic at 26.2 billion, which also, again, isn't entirely out of the realm of possibility to, to surpass that in a couple of weeks as well. 
Uh, Demon Slayer also got a couple more records under its belt. Um, it became the highest-grossing IMAX film in Japan of all time, making $14.2 million in that format after 30 days. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the previous record holder, took 135 days to get to $13 million in IMAX. And then separately, since opening in Taiwan uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, um, which, by the way, Taiwan has gone 200 days without a single COVID infection, meaning that life is pretty much back to normal there at this point. Um, anyway, it, uh, Demon Slayer grossed 360 million Taiwanese dollars, or about, uh, you know, um, uh, this is uh, 1.3 billion yen, or 12.6 million US dollars. Um, this is the highest grossing uh, film in Taiwan for the year. Uh, Train to Busan uh, sequel Peninsula uh, opened to 356 million Taiwanese dollars. And then in Tenet uh, opened up to 349 million Taiwanese dollars um, to date. Uh, it's also, you know, Demon Slayer is the highest grossing animated film in Taiwan of all time. Um, so combining that 12.6 million US dollars to what it's uh, made in Japan, uh, the 20, uh, the 27.7 million US dollars, uh, sorry, um, more, anyway, it, it gets to 235.9 million US dollars, that pushes it to the third best grossing anime film of all time, um, ahead of Howl's Moving Castle. Um, it's still about 120 million away from Spirit Away at number two, uh, which has 355 million, um, and then Spirit Away, and then Your Name has uh, 358 million uh, US dollars. So, you know, still quite a way to go. China's gonna really be the, the secret here to getting to that to that number, as well as, you know, opening in other, in other markets as well. Um, I believe... Um, about 80 million was made in China for your name and then another 40 million in Korea. I don't think this is going to do as well in Korea, but this does have the potential to do a lot better in China. Um, so we'll see how, um, how China helps the box office, uh, for Demon Slayer. Uh, you know, uh, for, anyway, for 2020 top grossing films of the year, uh, Demon Slayer has jumped over Birds of Prey to take the number eight spot. Currently, uh, in its sights, is uh, at number seven. Chinese film Legend of Deification, about seven million US dollars away. So again, a couple of weeks to get to that point, assuming it keeps up uh, with this rate. Uh, we don't have numbers for how it did in Hong Kong, which it premiered there this weekend. Uh, so that very well could be a lot closer than we think. Uh, Demon Slayer isn't the only international film to break into the top-grossing 2020 film chart. Um, the Chinese film The Sacrifice, which we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, made another $9.2 million this past weekend, which combined with its weekday grosses made it cost to $150 million US dollars. That pushes Pixar's Onward uh, with about $135, $132 million uh, worldwide dollars out of the top 10 charts. Um, this means it's the fourth Chinese film uh, in the chart this year, meaning that a full half, you know, four Chinese films plus Demon Slayer uh, make up the top 10 films of the year. This is also the first year since 1997 that Disney is not in the top grossing worldwide charts, and with no major releases uh, in theaters planned, uh, it's probably going to stay that way. So, you know, it only took a pandemic to make that happen, right? Um, also, fun fact for those keeping track of these charts, uh, 2020 will be the first year since 1995 where at least one film uh, that came out that year did not enter the top 20 grossing films of all time um, You know, at that time. Uh, no big surprise here for anyone paying attention, but uh, it's still you know, a streak that's been broken. Anyway, moving back to The Sacrifice in China, the rest of the top films over there were a bit odd uh, from my perspective. Uh, in number two, we have a 
Paw Patrol movie uh, made 5.4 million US dollars. Um, and then in third place, we have the terrible 2019 Hellboy movie, which made 4.6 million dollars. Um, for context, uh, it made only about 21 million US dollars here in the States when it first came out. And its second week had dropped down from, I think, 12 million down to like 3.9 million. Um, anyway, in fourth place, there's a Hong Kong drama uh, called uh, Find Your Voice, debuting at 3.5 million. Um, and then in fifth place, oh, sorry, in sixth place, we have My People, My Homeland, uh, still making, um, oh, sorry, no, uh, yeah, yeah, in fifth place, we have My People, My Homeland making 3.1 million US dollars. Um, 2019's The Aeronauts debuted also at China, uh, $2.2 million. And then Call of the Wild from this year, starring uh, Harrison Ford, made a measly $1.3 million US dollars. Um, as noted last week, this week we have uh, Greenland coming to China this weekend, followed by The Invisible Man on December 4th. On the 4th. Um, you know. Also, uh, remember that mo- that Monster Hunter movie that's coming out here in this here in the states on December thirtieth. Turns out it's also coming to China, um, but earlier, a whole month, uh, almost a whole month in advance, coming out the same day as the Invisible Man, coming out on December fourth. Um, so you know, we really know who this film is for. Uh, finally, to wrap up the China news, you know, Over the Moon, which is the Netflix film starring an all Asian cast, that was number one on Netflix the weekend it came out. Um, it's a co-production with the same studio that uh, made the uh, Yeti film Abominable that came out last year. Uh, it didn't do well in the box office; made only one million there before going to streaming. But it did get positive reviews for handling the Chinese culture better than Mulan did. So you know, we'll just have to wait to see when the first Asian cast film from Hollywood does it big in China. You know, wait for whatever studio figures out the secret to be able to get a well-received film as well as like a highly uh, profitable film, you know, to the level that a, a film, you know, that is specifically for China, not one that has like a, um, has like a Chinese actors kind of shoehorned in like an Iron Man or, or Mission Impossible do uh, Transformers for sure. Um, you know, when a studio cracks that secret, that's, that's all better off. Um, Anyway, uh, that's the box office charts. What else is uh, there to go over? Well, I suspected it after their earnings call a couple weeks ago, and they've been letting similar films already play, uh, you know, with Sword and Windows. But Cinemark officially signed a deal with Universal, similar to the AMC deal, to allow for flexible theatrical windows. Uh, the specific terms of the deal: uh, for films with an opening weekend above fifty million dollars, there is a thirty-one day theatrical window, while films opening below fifty million—I presume this is for a wide release—have um, a seventeen-day window, uh, much like AMC. Um, after these windows, Universal has the option, and that's the important part here, the option uh, to push the film to PVOD with Cinemark and presumably AMC as well, getting a share of the PVOD rental revenue. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean films that will be di- will be pulled entirely from theaters once they go to PVOD. Just that the studio will allow the theaters will allow them to run in parallel to having them in theaters in exchange for a share of the revenue. Uh, no official terms on what that rev sale looks like, but according to Deadline's sources, about 10% of PVOD revenue is earmarked for deals with exhibitions. So other you know other chains such as uh, um, as Regal and presumably you know other other smaller chains as well. Um, uh, with AMC and Cinemark being kind of the first signers, getting about 15-ish percent of that, so about 1% to 2% of total PVOD revenue. 
uh, with Regal Steelers uh, closed indefinitely. Uh, no clue if they're going to come back when they come back if there was ink in the similar deal. Um, and there are also no other indicators that other studios have struck similar deals. But as I uh, suggested when this news first broke for AMC, once another studio or another uh, movie theater chain kind of falls in, I think it's going to be a domino effect. We're just going to start seeing more deals, especially as uh, studios you know, uh, as exhibition comes back and as studios uh, begin um, putting films back onto the release schedule. Um, so, you know, the fact that, you know, Regal is closed now means that this deal isn't really rel relevant for them. And the fact that other studios don't have really films on the docket, aside from, you know, again, Universal, um, that makes it, this deal not yet relevant for them I I either. Now, you know, part of the reason why, uh, you know, theaters are closing is, uh, as you probably know watching the news, a surge of COVID cases nationwide. Obligatory reminder here, please wear your mask and self-isolate if at all possible, um, and if at all possible, limit the travel this coming Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I know I can't stop everyone, but I really think it's important to stop the spread of the virus um, as much as possible. So anyway, back to the box office news. This uh, surge of COVID cases is meaning there's an increased number of states re-implementing restrictions that, of course, affect movie theaters. Uh, specifically, in New York, they are implementing a 10 p.m. curfew for, uh, you know, in general, uh, for indoor entertainment. Um, this, of course, means that theaters are included in that as well. Uh, of course, theaters are not running in New York City as of yet um, since the pandemic began, but this does cast a shadow on the possibility of those reopening anytime soon. Um, but theaters are still open in other parts of the state upstate. Um, across the Hudson River, New Jersey is placing limitations on indoor entertainment, limiting capacity down to only 25% of capacity or 150 res uh, capacity, whichever is less. Um, of course, you know, that means for uh, um, movie theaters, it's definitely going to be less, 100, less than 150. Um, so that's, you know, further hurting, uh, you know, movie theaters there. Um, in Michigan, California, and Washington State, all of them are implementing various stages of lockdowns as cases surge. Um, and other restrictions, you know, these include movie theaters closing indefinitely. And, you know, this isn't the States, but China uh, has closed about a third of its theaters this month. Um, it did have its weakest November in years, though that is partly due to the fact that there were a lack of Hollywood films in addition to having fewer theaters open. Um, you know, this is generally a weaker period for domestic films, and a lot of international films tend to play here, you know, after National Day. So, you know, um, that is partly why uh, this is a weaker year on top of, you know, the, the number, fewer number of uh, theaters open this month. That said, on top of the Pfizer vaccine that was supposed to be 90% effective that we heard about last week, uh, Moderna announced a 94.5% effective vaccine that has the added benefit of not needing as cold temperatures to be transported. Uh, that said, the creators of the Pfizer vaccine still estimates it will take until next winter to get it back to 100% normal, if that. Anyway, moving to movie date news. First, uh, Michael Bay was one of the first filmmakers to go back to shooting in LA uh, when you know COVID restrictions on shooting uh, was starting to ease up uh, a little bit. Um, he made a film called Songbird, which is about the pandemic, uh, of course. Uh, super timely. Um, STX acquired that film, and it's skipping theatrical release and going straight to PVOD on December 11th. Not entirely sure if people will want to watch the film about the terribleness of 2020 uh, when 2020 hasn't even finished yet, but hey, we'll see. 
Anyway, Tom and Jerry. Yes, that's Tom and Jerry. Um, apparently, it's a mixed live action film similar to Who Killed Roger Rabbit. Um, it moved from December 23rd to March 5th, 2021. Uh, its trailer came out earlier today as of recording, the 17th. Um, this does debunk the theory that it might be a special Christmas film coming to HBO Max. Uh, the other potential contenders were Tenet, Space Jam 2, uh, Into the Heights, uh, and Su- The Suicide Squad, as well as, of course, Wonder Woman 1984. As noted, we don't yet have a release officially for 1984. Well, okay, we do have the Christmas release, but I still am not entirely convinced that's going to happen. Um, and that's why this podcast is a day, is a day late. Um, I mean, you know, generally, you know, the rumors were we were going to get news, and there were generally one of four options on the table. One, Warner Brothers pushes it out on Christmas as normal, has a normal release schedule, similar to Tenet. Um, the reason this is a faulty idea is because, uh, of course, as as just talked about, all of these uh, states are limiting the uh, capacity of movie theaters or even closing them down entirely. So, you know, it's just not going to be well financially for them if they have that. Uh, two. Uh, it goes straight to HBO Max. Um, this is, I think, a move that is supported by uh, Warner Brothers' parent company, AT&T, who is apparently applying pressure to get uh, Wonder Woman to release on uh, on streaming VOD, uh, HBO Max. Um, that said, you know, the studio has said they are committed to having it come to theater. Uh, so who knows? I mean, who knows if that actually will stick or not? Um but uh, you know, we'll see uh, if if that comes to pass. I think that's not quite likely either. So the two more likely options are C. Um it moves out of the 2020 date uh, to sometime in, sub- in summer 2021. I think there are a couple of dates that are still open. I think, you know, around uh, July or June, um, there's a, there might be a weekend open there. Um, again, there still is no confirmation for sure that the... Uh, the theaters will be fully open by then. Um, and there's, again, still the question of the presser from AT&T to put it on streaming. And finally, I think, you know, I'm, I'm coming around more and more to this idea. It does stay on its December 25th release date, but it has a sort of theatrical window. It has, you know, a two-week window before going straight to HBO Max. Now, the rub here is that would AMC and would Cinemark allow for Wonder Woman to... S- stream in to so in their theaters if they don't have a deal similar to the universal deal uh, where they're able to get some kickback or something uh, for not having the full theatrical release right that's the that's the real question here if those you know negotiations can be put in place um, that said that does kind of make sense it kind of compromises between you know not sitting on this film indefinitely and, and pushing it back yet again getting a theatrical release but also appeasing the AT&T overlords to get it to, a- to HBO Max uh, the real question is if you know, um, Warner is able to negotiate that deal with AMC and uh, Cinemark at this point. Now, again, we don't have any news yet. Knowing my luck, when this episode goes up, that's you know an hour later, we'll get news uh, that uh, you know we we got an announcement on what's going on. And whenever that happens, I'll, I'll definitely cover it here. Uh, anyway, in other HBO Max news, and I don't mean the fact that uh, Doolittle or Cats are now available on this on the platform. Uh, HBO Max finally struck a deal with Amazon, uh, hallelujah, to have the app come to Amazon Fire TVs this week. In fact, yesterday on November 17th. Um, all that remains is Roku. Again, this was one of the major failures of the HBO Max launch, where they were not available to uh, Amazon Fire or um, or Roku TVs. Um, finally, made that deal, so you know we'll see uh, how how that shakes out um, and what you know what gave for you know um, uh, Fire TV to to make that move and, and allow them to come on. What what was given? I can't find any details on that. 
Uh, in addition, according to Deadline, over the last 90 days, HBO Max has gained 2.1 paying subs, not converts from HBO, um, which after the variety reports of gaining 650,000 new users in Q3, that's uh, a, in the last month and a half from October 1st or so, uh, about 1.5 million new users, um, implying they've hit 10 million users on the service total. That seems like a lot, but again, given the failure of the initial launch, um, yeah, with a more successful world, we'd be a lot further further along. So, um, again, trending upward, but it's still not where I think it should be to really be considered a competitor to, again, Disney Plus, who currently has uh, 73 million users um, worldwide. Now, some more insider baseball news relating to uh, Warner Brothers. Um, after last week's announcements of further restructuring and layoffs, um, there were three, no, three notable senior marketing executives leaving the company. Uh, Blair Ritz, uh, head of uh, worldwide marketing, JP Richards, co-president of worldwide marketing, and Jim Gallagher, executive vice president of family and animation marketing. Uh, the big one here is Blair Ritz, who reportedly she had classes with Warner Brothers studio chief Toby Emmerich. Um, the other rub here is that marketing in general for Warner Brothers, I think, have been has been missing the mark somewhat uh, since 2017's It. Uh, Warner Brothers has not had a film open over 100 million domestically. Which, okay, part of it is having a great film, but the other part is, you know, is the marketing doing a good job of getting people out there and excited to see the film? Uh, in 2019, eight of the 18 wide releases opened below 10 million dollars since opening weekend. So, you know. I, I don't know if that's like a, a full reflection on the uh, marketing team, but I think it's definitely a factor at play here. Um, in other corporate news, moving over to Disney, uh, their recent earnings call last week, they beat the estimates, uh, losing only 20 cents per share as opposed to Wall Street's estimates of losing 71 cents per share. Um, and that's even, you know, slightly beating expected revenue. So, you know, costs were a lot, I think costs were a lot lower than, than we're expecting. Um, the other big bright spot of the call was that they announced that they had 73 million total paid subscribers worldwide as of the end of the most recent quarter, up from 60.5 million at the end of August. Um... Apparently, a quarter of these subs come from their India Hotstar arrangement to the tune of 18 million users. Um, also, today, as of recording, the 17th, Disney Plus launched in Latin America. Um, so, you know, this is even with, you know, without those numbers and without the WandaVision, people who are staying for WandaVision, um, you know, this is being pushed back uh, to, WandaVision was pushed back to January 15th. So, you know, we'll see when these numbers come, uh, what these numbers look like on Investor Day on December 10th when we get new numbers. Um... Uh, also, to come on Investor Day, according to Bob Chapek, he noted that they were pleased uh, with the results of Milan's Premier Access uh, when they were paying thirty dollars on top of the normal, uh, you know, Disney Plus uh, subscription fee. Now, you know, we may see this come up again. I think they 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 alluded to controversy around the film, maybe impacting it more than they would have liked. Um, but I don't think that's the last we've seen of the uh, Premier Access model. I think. Ways this could change to be more palatable, lower lower the 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 extra cost, you know, from thirty dollars to, I don't know, ten or even five dollars, right? Um, you know, maybe that might be that might be more the speed. Um, I also don't think, you know, I think another potential move is that you know having maybe smaller films, maybe not the Marvels of the films, you know, uh, e Mar Marvels EVP, um, you know, said much that they're definitely theatrical films, uh, theatrical release films, not streaming films. Um, I think smaller films are definitely uh, in the lineup for this, and I also see Disney moving toward a sort of theatrical model, similar to the Cinemark deal, um, where you know 
maybe they have a uh, you know a 90 day window right currently they're moving to maybe a 30 day window uh, for theatrical only uh, 30 days of theatrical and being on Disney plus premiere another 30 days of you know being available on VOD as well so that's you know 30 30 30 uh, meaning at the end of the 30 days uh, you know or I guess I don't know the math how the math works out but it eventually comes out to eventually coming out on Disney plus so yeah I think that might be a pencil move of course the question here is that would AMC and V whenever they come back and Cinemark allow for Disney to have a sort of theatrical window um, without a cut of some some kickback or something. So so we'll see how that looks. Um, maybe they get a share of the uh, of the um, Premier Access uh, additional revenue. And then finally, you know, last bit of oddball news. Uh, in addition to acquiring um, anime streaming platform Crunchyroll um, a few weeks back, Sony also recently just acquired the Christian streaming service PureFlix. Um, I should probably do re- research and put together an episode at some point on a particular segment of the market as it's actually pretty lucrative. You know, it's, it's relatively low cost. There's a built-in audience who's definitely probably going to want to go see those films and you know there's actually a film that came out this year on streaming i think it's called faith-based uh, with the s stylized as a dollar sign um parodying this phenomenon um 94 on modern tomatoes so I, I should probably check that out um anyway with that that's the end of this episode of the box office watch podcast you can suit me ideas for what i should cover via email at box office watch podcast at zmo.com or on twitter at bo watch podcast us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, you know, all the major stores. I'll leave a review on your store on choice or on podcast.com. That'd be super helpful. I'll include those links in the show notes. Uh, numbers used in the show or when they're available come from thenumbers.com. Uh, our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. Find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production come from Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, the watch goes on. Yeah.